faithfulness. And God, we recognize that this is not the uh, end for us, but God, this is the beginning of what you desire to do in us and through us. And so we just pray for a sensitivity to your, to your voice. We pray for courage to move in obedience, Lord God, when you speak, Lord God. So would you open up our hearts this morning to hear from you uh, and, and to be challenged and transformed by you, to, that our lives might glorify your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I want to uh, just take a few moments this morning just to share a little bit about where I am with this whole process. And, and I'm sharing this not to negate the, the, the importance of membership vote, but, but um, because nothing negates that. But just to, sh- just to share a little bit again, because we have privy to so much information you guys don't. So I want to share a little bit about why we're so excited about this church and this building up the street. Uh, and, and as I... As I, it's been a busy couple of years. It's been just crazy how busy it's been with so many things coming up for us and, and doing so many things from the sale of this building and, 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 and the meetings that we've had and looking and, and, and just honestly watching you guys with the understanding that we really felt that God said to us what he wanted to do in this process was to grow his people. This wasn't so much about uh, changing buildings, but it was about us being stretched and us maturing in him and us growing in him because what he is about to do in this church does not come through a new building. It comes through a newness of life in his people, through a stretching of of his people, through the growth of his people, through the faithfulness of his people. And that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about this morning because we need to prep ourselves for what God is getting ready to do and is already doing within you. This isn't about pastors. This isn't about phenomenal leadership or great business approach or any of that. It's got nothing to do with it. In fact, if you look at everything we've done, really God's had to do it all. Um, Not to, to, to take away from all the hard work, but only God can do what he's done. Um. But I just want to back up and just say the reason why I'm so excited is, is two years ago, and I want to brag on you guys this morning, because I, it's, the Bible says, give honor where honor is due, and you guys deserve honor. Uh, two years ago, you voted to sell this building. We voted, we felt like God said that, that we need to sell this building and that he would provide a building once we sold this one, which is a scary thing to do. You know, so many times as pastors and leadership teams, we try and take all the guesswork out for the congregation. We try and come and say, hey, this is what God is saying, and this is what he's told us, and don't worry, it's all going to be okay, and here are the answers to everything. You don't have to stress. You don't have to worry. And that just isn't the path that God led us down. In fact, God wanted us, not just us as a, as a congregation, not just as leadership and pastors and board, but you guys to wrestle through, to be stretched to have to have the courage to make decisions without having all the answers through the clouds and through the fog and through all of that to dare to get out and dare to trust them. And you guys did that. So two years ago, this 90-year-old church, we're 90 years, voted to sell a building we've been in for almost as long. That's huge. Most congregations can't get to that point. Too, there's too much tradition. There's too many memories that they can't see beyond their building, and they, and they get stuck, and they, and, and, and they believe their church exists within the walls, and what happens is that leads to decline in the church. They start worshiping the wrong things. 
We can be grateful for God's provision without worshiping God's provision. And so you guys, and, and, and I give you credit, you voted to, 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 to step out and, and sell this church. And then at that point, the building committee went to work, and they worked incredibly hard. They did a phenomenal job. Um, Smither led us, and, and, and it was, uh, she's shaking her head, but she did a phenomenal job, Lena. So those on that committee know it to be true. But we started looking at all of the challenges we had in this building. And we, and we defined all of them. And then from that, we started looking at all of the needs that we had in order to maintain and handle the growth that we've experienced through both of our services and in our children's areas. And so just to narrow those down, we looked at our kids' areas. We looked at safety. We looked at sanctuary size and fellowship areas and parking and, and all of these things. And then, um, then we dreamed of, of what a permanent building would look like for us. And we really felt like God said, you don't need to be looking at a permanent building right now because you don't know how big you are. When we went to Quincy High School, we had about 600 people um, on Easter, Easter Sunday. So God really told us, you don't know how, how big you are right now because you're limited by parking and by pew space and, and facilities. And so we just felt like he said, just go and, start, and lease an area, um, lease a building first. And so, but we still dreamed about what we eventually wanted to have in a building. And we came up with adequate fellowship space. We came up with a gym. We came up with parking. We wanted to have a big enough space that we could just basically establish ourselves there and just plant churches from there on out. And then we looked at what we needed for lease to lease and and how much square footage we need. And then we looked at pricing of the square footage and and how much it was and renovations. And then we looked at areas and and, and where this church would be. And we we didn't really cross out too many areas around. We drew a big circle around the area that we reached and we kind of game planned accessibility and, 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 and looked at, at, at what the possibilities were for us to lease. And, and looking at the prices of everything, things are incredibly high. We knew we needed a miracle from God. And so what we did was we, we didn't cross out Quincy. We didn't cross out Quincy but in our minds, we knew Quincy was a tough, was a tough goal. Because if you look at all the, Quincy is skyrocketing right now, price-wise. To try and get uh, lease space here, you're looking at probably 18 plus dollars per square foot. Biff will correct me if I'm wrong, and he's smiling because he's done so much research on this. 18 plus dollars per square foot for what we needed. Quincy became an impossibility for us. We didn't close the door on it. We knew we needed a miracle. But we looked at everything. Then we looked at trying to sell the building, and we had a number of groups and people, investors come through. We had different hopes, and all of a sudden getting excited about different, what, the, what, what seemed to be almost a sure thing was going to happen, and promises, and, and people coming through multiple times, and bringing committees in, and, and all of that looked really hopeful, and then nothing happened. And over the course of two years, this was filled with meetings, and plannings, and wrestling, and, and doing everything we needed to do, crossing every T and dotting every I. And then God brought in Life Community Church. And Life Community Church came in and they looked at the building and and they have a heart for Quincy and they too have been struggling to find a location. They too have struggled to be able to afford the crazy prices in Quincy. But they had a heart and a passion for Quincy. And so they came in and they gave us their best offer. And their best offer was about a third lower than what we could technically get for this building. And so we got kind of hit in the gut with that, going, oh, man, like, 
you know, we know that we need the most amount of money we can get for this building in order to really go forward. And even with that, we need a miracle from God. But here comes this church, and they need a miracle from God too. And they're coming with their best, and their best is like our best, but now we have to deal with their best. We really need them to do a lot better than that in order for us to be successful. And so there was this wrestling in the leadership from the building committee to the board about what is stewardship. What is stewardship for you guys? What is stewardship for what God is doing with us? And what is stewardship for the kingdom of God? And, 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 and it was a wrestling, and it was a good wrestling for us. And then we had to fast, and we were praying, and we had to meet again and come back and extend it. And we came back, and, 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 and they didn't have peace about the money, but they had peace about bringing it to you guys, not having all the answers. And I remember coming to you guys, also feeling the board, feeling, man, it would be nice. We're going to have so many questions from the congregation and, and so many things that we can't answer. Just to say, you know what, we don't have the answer, but what you're voting on is, is this what God is doing? Because this will take a massive amount of faith and trust in, the, in your part. And we brought it to you guys, and you guys had really good questions. And a lot of the questions we couldn't answer, we just said to you, we don't know. We have to trust God if this is what he's doing. We're not trying to make this safe for you. We're just saying, is this what God is saying? See, so many times in our lives, we only want to move where God tells us to move if it's safe. We only want to move in our comfort. And God stretches us. The, the, the most growth that we will go through in our lives always happens in the challenging areas of our lives or in the pits of our lives. And what's done in the pit strengthens you to go to the next height. And so for us, we came to you guys, and, and we didn't have the answers, and you guys wrestled with it. We just said, pray and fast. This is us moving together. And I remember some conversations I had with a few of you. Quite a few of you came up, and I loved that you weren't trying to tell me what I wanted to hear or didn't assume what I want to hear. You just said, man, this has been tough. One person came and said, man, I was voting one way until I got here. And then this, and other people said, man, this is a challenge. What are we going to do? And, and we didn't have the answer to this. But what happened in the end? There was this fight against flesh and spirit and what we need to succeed ourselves and, 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 and what God might be doing. And, and, and I'm not picking on the way anyone voted. These wrestlings are important. If we weren't wrestling with this, then we didn't understand how big this was. And so we valued every single vote in here, all right? But you guys wrestled with it. And despite what we knew we needed financially to move forward, you guys voted to lay down our needs in order for the other church to have theirs. It was a powerful moment when that happened because I thought, man, the congregation is saying, we're going to choose to trust God for our need, that their need might be met. You guys did that when there was no promise of a building. That now meant that there was now a time stamp saying, you now have so many days or so many months to get out of this building. And you guys chose to move. It was incredibly amazing and scary at the same time. As a pastor, I wasn't exempt from this. I remember telling Lori, okay, I could be defined by burying the church, leading them this way, but it was your guys' vote. I remember what I was so proud about the leadership team is no one tried to convince you or coerce you of anything. 
We just said, this is it. This is where we are. We're in this together. God is moving us together. This isn't a pastoral leading this or leadership team leading this. We're bringing it to you. We're in this together. And you guys voted against the judgment of the flesh to, to take the hit financially. You chose to trust God for your needs in order to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ with no possibilities at that moment for a building. Then something happened. The next meeting, I, I remember uh, it well because we looked at all of the options and it was said, and I remember this because I've said this so many times myself, what we need is impossible and it's probably not going to happen, so we need to look at other alternatives. I remember those words because every time I've said them myself, God always turns around and says whatever I said was impossible and he makes it possible. The next day, we walked over to this church here to look at a temporary location for us. And when we walked into the building, I believe it was Pastor Rennie and I, we walked in, and to our amazement, they opened up their arms to us. And you know what they said to us? They said, you're Glad Tidings Church. And we said, yeah. And they knew us, and they said, huh. They said, we just heard that um, Life Community is buying your property. I said, yeah. They said, we were just over there at their church because we were needing people to come here and rent from us. And we were wondering if they'd be interested in coming and renting from us. And we heard when we went over there that they're actually buying your building. And now you're here looking to rent from us. The pastor of that church is an amazing pastor and a lovely man. And he's becoming a friend very quickly. I walked into his office a couple weeks ago. And he said, I've known you before you came here. I've been praying for you guys. He said, I've been praying that you guys would come. Not for glad tidings to come. But he says, I've been needing a miracle here. I've been needing a church to come in. And I've known you're coming. And, and, and they are just opening the doors and just laying out like whatever, whatever they can do. We walked into that building, and it is everything in that building that we listed that we wanted in a permanent facility, not a lease facility. What we dreamed of in a permanent facility, including a gym, basketball court, fellowship areas, a sanctuary that seats over 600. Um, they have more areas that we don't have access to right now, but if we eventually do, they have a theater. They have everything. It's amazing. And parking all over the place. And it's in the most prime location of all in Quincy, the impossible area where you can't, where there's not enough money to get at a much lower rate than we could have ever got anywhere else in a cheap area. So everything that God has done by opening up the doors here, and it's been amazing, and I just feel like this plane is gliding in so smoothly for this landing. And I have to attribute, when I look at it, I go, God is honoring your faith, glad tidings. I believe firmly that when you chose to lay down yourself, and take care of the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ who needed a miracle as we did, and when you chose to be their miracle, God said, I'm honoring that. And the minute that happened, he opened the doors for a miracle that this is truly a miracle. I say this cautiously because this still requires a vote. And I'm trying not to manipulate, and this isn't manipulation, but I have to communicate as a pastor what we get to see as a building committee so you understand I feel like we're standing at the Red Sea and the waters have parted and we're like, okay, vote real quickly. Do we go through? Like, like okay, God, just open the waters. You know, now we still need to vote. That's the right thing to do. And if you, at the end of walking through, you go, this is not what God is doing, then you need to vote against it, okay? So just not manipulate. But I'm just saying, 
where the waters have opened, and it's an amazing thing what God has done, and you need to understand that because this is your miracle. All right, this isn't mine. This isn't the leadership's. This is yours. Even if you voted against it, it doesn't matter. This is your miracle. What I loved about that meeting is that we had a few people vote against it, which is fine. It's part of it. But no one got ugly. When the vote went through, no one came up and said, I can't believe you guys. And that says a lot about who you guys are. That means that you said, hey, God's will was done. And I appreciate every no vote. I appreciate every yes vote. So I just want to say, man, this is ours. This is our miracle. This is your miracle. This is God building you in this and us. And everything that was, has been prophesied about this church is about to come true. We stand on the brink of that. Why? Because God is not about a building. He's about building his people, and you have been built. You have dared to trust. You've dared to believe. You've dared to climb out of the boat and walk on water, as scary as those waves may have been. And I want to say that all of this has its purposes. This is not the the beginning. I say that it feels like the plane is landing. The plane is only landing in the building, but the plane is taking off for our ministry. And for your ministry, this is not the end, but rather this is the beginning of what God wants to do in your life. Because let me tell you the truth. The truth is he doesn't give a rip about a building. He cares about people. And all of this is done as a display of his power, of who he is. And the message to you and I is if he will do this for a building, how far will he go for you? How far will he go to reach his people? Because the mission of us right now is not to inhabit and occupy a building, but to lead people who are still living in darkness into life. I want you to think, those of you who have kids or nephews or close ones, if your kids were lost in the woods in the middle of the night, at what point would you stop mobilizing people and calling people and looking for them? You wouldn't stop. That's... Christ's passion for this world and for the people. There are so many people walking and living in darkness. Our job is not to go and condemn them. Their sin does that. Our job is to go and lead them to salvation and freedom and life. And and the reason why God is sending us there is to hold all of those kids walking in darkness, that they have a place to come when we reach them, when we find them. But that's not the goal. That's, That's the place where they're going to gather. The goal is to empower you to move with confidence like never before in the mission that God has called you to, to go out into the world and not bring them to church, but bring them to Christ. And God wants to stretch you and use you beyond what you've dreamed of as possible for you. And so many of us in our lives are sitting back because the fear of stepping out of the boat, it feels just like it did when we had to wrestle with the the cost of selling this building and what we needed versus what, and and, and it didn't add up. And God's going to call you to things in your life that don't add up. You're not going to be able to see the end. You're not going to be able to see how it all gets there. But you know, you'll, you'll have this desire inside of you that God is saying, man, I'm stretching you and I'm going to make the impossible possible. And the same feelings and wrestlings that you had when when it came to selling this building are going to surface again. And when they surface, God's going to take you back to this moment where he's going to remind you of what he's done. This is foundational of growth of what he's done and doing in your life so that when you get to that point of being stretched, you don't back off. But your mind comes back to this and you step out. 
and say, the same God that provided for us a building in Quincy is the same God that's going to move me because this is more important than a building. This is about people's lives. And all I need to know is, am I hearing God? This is an empowering of his people, of you. God has it's been prophesied that this church is going to grow and miraculous things are going to take place. Those are going to take place not because of pastors and leadership, because of his people moving in confidence and power. Our whole theme for this has been Joshua and the Israelites stepping out and getting ready and going across the Jordan. But here's the great thing. When the Jordan River parted, the battle wasn't over. The Jordan River parted. They were still Jericho. When the Israelites walked through the Jordan, if you look at Joshua 1, they were armed. They had to go across armed. And when they, they walked through the Jordan, they saw the power of God move in the Jordan. They got to the other side. They consecrated themselves. You know what they did is they suddenly sat down and went, oh my word, did you see that? Let's just take a moment and, and just take this in. That's the power of God. Did you ever think, and I can only imagine their stories. We've heard, they're probably saying things like, we heard the stories of the Red Sea, and now we've experienced God's miraculous power. And boy, if he did that for us, I'm not worried about Jericho. I'm not worried about anything else, but did you see that? I can only imagine them camping out. And this is a Jericho experience for us. It doesn't mean that the battles are over. No, we have a major battle ahead of us, the real mission of what's coming, of reaching people who are lost. But what took down the walls of Jericho, I'm convinced of this in my heart, is the faith that was built in the Jordan and the confidence that was built in the Jordan when they crossed over because they went to Jericho going, I know what my God did with the Jordan and I'm not worried about man-made walls. And they took on Jericho. We have Battles and challenges ahead of us. It's part of us. Just because God has opened up the doors doesn't mean those battles cease to exist. But we need to go through the Jordan, through this opening, armed and ready for the real mission that God's called us to. I started a series last week on the armor of God. And now I'm picking it up this week and going on because I feel like it's critical for what God wants to do in our lives. We need to be armed to go forward. And so would you open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. We need to go across the Jordan armed and ready for what's to come. Hendrickson writes this about this passage. He says, we must be careful, however, not to infer from this that Christians are pictured here as sitting back as it were, waiting in the shelter of their fortress for Satan's attack. 
He goes on to say, this is not a picture of a brick wall that's standing firm, waiting for a battering ram to come. But rather the picture that's being implied here and presented here by, by Paul speaks more of soldiers that are geared up for battle. They're dressed for battle. Too many of us feel like we use this passage where we say, hey, if I can stay in the safety of my, of my comfort and, and, and I can use the, the armor of God that when, hopefully it'll never happen, but if the enemy ever decides to attack me, I'll just throw it on real quick and I'll stay in the complacency and safety of where I am. That's not what God's talking about. This, these are soldiers gearing up for war. These are defensive armor as much as it is offensive armor. There is a sword around their waist. And so this pictures soldiers taking ground, both defending themselves and attacking at the same time. That's what God has called us to. That's what we must get ready for, to embrace what God is giving us. It's going to take us having a good defense as well as a good offense to take the land, to lead those who are in darkness to him. And the time is now, and it's imperative that we put on this armor. Putting on the armor of God is a lifestyle of living, not a period of reading. I think some people say, I'm going to put on the armor of God. I've got nothing against reading this because it's important. But just simply reading this doesn't put on the armor. You're just reading about the armor. It's reading about the armor and understanding what is being described in each one and living it out. It's when you live this out that the armor is on. Last week, we started off, and I have to recap it in order to go forward, to, to talking about the first thing that he says is to be strong and confident in who? Not in your own power, but in God and his mighty power. I look at the, 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 the Israelites crossing the Jordan, and that's exactly what happened. They became confident in God's mighty power. So much to the point that they reconsecrated themselves to God when they got to the other side, and then they took on Jericho. Jericho was this poster child of fortified cities that could never be conquered. And God took the walls down without them even having to lay a hand on them, simply by them yelling. Being confident in his power and his, his, his authority in your life. That's the first thing we need to do. You get the picture of, of maybe a kid who's, who's being bullied the whole time, and, and all of a sudden, dad shows up, and all of a sudden, his confidence changes because now he's not alone. And when the bullies come after him, you have this kid who used to cower, now standing up, putting their finger up to the bully and saying, hey, you back off. He's not speaking in his own power. It's because dad's right behind him. That's the kind of confidence God's talking about in us. Not to be confident in our own power, but to understand that behind us is a power that moves mountains. Behind us is a power that simply by the voice of his command, this world was formed. Rivers were parted. Storms were calmed. Walls came down. He says, be, be confident in that power. Be confident in the power we've just seen demonstrated with what God is doing and opening up. That's the confidence we can have. Be confident in him. Then he says that the first thing we need to do is we need to stand firm with the belt of, of truth buckled around our waist. I described the belt of truth last week, and it's about a six-inch wide piece of leather that has lower armament that covers and guards your abdomen and also has the scabbard which holds the shield. 
but attached to this belt of truth. The belt of truth is actually, or the belt on the Roman uh, armor is, is like an anchor point because the breastplate was anchored to the belt. The, breast, the, the, the belt held the breastplate in place. And so what we're told here by Paul, he says, first, you've got to put on the belt of truth. The anchor point in your armor as Christians is the belt of truth. And, and Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the first thing, the foundation and the anchor to your truth is Jesus Christ. To your armor is Jesus Christ. It's that faith in him that holds all of your protection together. Scripture also tells us that this is truth. There are a lot of things in, in the world that declare to be truth. I don't know one person who has lived a completely truthful life. I don't know one person, human person, that's lived a completely righteous life. The only person that's ever lived a completely perfect life is Jesus Christ, which means he's the only person qualified to define what truth is and what righteousness is. The world tries to define truth and righteousness by their warped views of it and their own understanding, and so they use their own judgment and their own lives of what's convenient to them to define what truth is based on what makes their lives more comfortable. That's not truth. That's wishy-washiness. This is truth. And so that belt of truth, what God says is, man, the belt of truth is Jesus Christ and his word. And that is foundational and anchor. And you need the first thing in holding your armor together, the first thing you need to have on before you go into battle is that belt of truth. And that belt of truth holds in place the breastplate. And I love that it's called the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate covers all of your vital organs. It's armament up here, and it also covers the armament in the back. If you're a soldier or, or, or if you're going to be in combat with someone, this is the area that provides, if unprotected, a kill shot. That's where you aim with your sword, your spear, your bow, your bullet, whatever it is. You can also aim for the head, and we'll get into the helmet later on. But this is the place that you need to cover, because if you can get in here, you can take a life. You can destroy a life. And so I love that God says to us, the spiritual armor that we need to have is first the belt of truth, and then second, the breastplate or the armament of righteousness, that righteousness covers our vital organs, which simply means without righteousness, our vital organs are exposed. Without righteousness, we become susceptible to being destroyed in our lives. November 5th, I, I, I did a message called um, The Hunted and talked about how the enemy uh, how God's given us the strategy the enemy uses and, and how he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And we talked about how lions actually hunt and how they hunt the weak and how they hunt the ones that are alone, the ones that are on the edge of the pack and how their desire is to separate them. They'll run one down and try and separate it out from the pack. And once it's separated out, then they can devour it. And that's what the enemy is constantly trying to do to, to you and to me is to separate us out from the body of Christ, from the power of God, 
in order to devour us. And how he does that, if we're not protected by the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, it's easy for him to separate us. And here's why. The enemy is known as the accuser of the brethren. That's how he does. He's the father of lies. So he uses lies and he uses half-truths. And so what he does is he comes to us and he tries to say, Hey, Lori, let me tell you something. You're a sinner. There's the truth. Can't argue that. Not because she's my wife. I should pick on somebody else. Heather! No, I'm just kidding. But it says, you're a sinner. We know that's to be true, right? And our argument with that is Scripture says, yes, I am a sinner. If I claim to be without sin, I deceive myself, and the truth is not in me. But I am a sinner. But Jesus Christ is my righteousness, and he died for my sin to set me free. That's truth defeating the enemy. What the enemy wants to use is use a half-truth to say you're a sinner, and because of it, God can't stand you anymore. When God, when he, if that thought begins to be entertained in our minds, what happens? When we come to church, we go, man, I stink. I don't want to be here, and God doesn't want me here either. And neither do all these other perfect people. And we begin separating ourselves out from the church. And as we begin to separate ourselves out, the enemy stands a greater chance of separating us from God because before too long we associate church with God. And then we pull ourselves out. Once he gets us away, he's able to devour us. You defeat the enemy first and foremost with truth, truth that comes from God. The enemy will use half-truths. Are you a sinner? Yes, own it. We all are. But I'm saved by grace through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what conquers the enemy. All right? So the enemy is trying to devour us. And he's trying to separate. So he comes with us, and that's getting more back to where we were last week. But then this is why righteousness is so important. Righteousness, what God says, righteousness is this protective covering that covers our most vital organs. That means without righteousness, I'm not covered. That means I'm exposed. I'm susceptible to, 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 to being hurt, to being devoured, to being killed. And so it's critically important that we understand what righteousness is if it's a key uh, element to us being protected. And so what is righteousness? We look at Scripture. Isaiah 54, 17 says this. That, the Lord says that their righteousness is of me. God says righteousness doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from him. So to get an understanding of what righteousness is, we look at the Old Testament law. In the Old Testament law, God sets his righteous standard. He says, this is my standard for righteous living. This is how you attain basically perfection. This is how you can enter the kingdom of heaven is by maintaining this righteous living. And if you don't, then there are sacrifices that you have to make in order to bring atonement and, 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 and get forgiveness for your lack of righteousness. And so as we look at the righteous standard that is set and described in the law, we see how impossible it is for us to live in our own power righteously. In fact, what the law actually did was provide a measurement of the distance between where we actually are and how we live and God's righteous standard for us. It shows us how far away we ever are from being righteous. There's no way we could attain righteousness in ourselves. But righteousness is what God requires. And so then he sends Jesus. And when Jesus comes, he doesn't minimize the law. 
he actually sets the bar even higher. You guys remember the scripture? He says, you've heard it said that murder is a sin. He says, but I say if you even look at someone with hatred or anger, you're guilty of murder. He's saying murder is just the fruit of the real sin, which is the anger. And so he raises the bar. He says, you've heard it said that adultery is a sin. He goes, I say if you even look upon someone with lust, you're guilty. So Jesus raises the bar of what righteousness is and actually makes it stronger for us to understand how far away we really are from being righteous. And then Jesus goes on to live a righteous, perfect life. So righteousness is from God, and it cannot be earned by ourselves. And then we look at New Testament, and the New Testament says this about righteousness— that righteousness is absolute faith and commitment to God. Romans 4, 5 says this, And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. It's pretty cool. God says, faith now and belief in Jesus Christ, that is now righteousness. In fact, what it says in Romans is, to the one who does not work, that might sound like, oh, wait, we have the ability just to sit back and kick back in our sin and go, hey, this is great. I believe God for righteousness. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is, for the one who doesn't think that they can earn righteousness in their own power, there are a whole lot of people who are trying to earn righteousness without Jesus Christ. They say, well, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm a good person. You don't understand righteousness. And so what it's saying is not that you can sit back in your mess and in your dirt and in your filth and say, hey, I'm righteous. Although we know that we can never live righteously in our own power and know that we will always be sinners, that we'll never be perfect, that, that when Christ comes into us, we will strive for that righteous living. So we know that righteousness is absolute faith and commitment to God, that we can't accomplish this on our own, that it only comes through faith and belief. And so we know that Jesus is the only one who is righteous. It's his shed blood that covers us. But here's what happens when you have faith and belief in Jesus Christ. You can only have faith and belief in Jesus Christ if you start off with the fact that you identify yourselves as a sinner. Because if you can't identify yourself as a sinner, you don't need Jesus Christ. So when you identify yourself as a sinner, then you identify himself as not being one. And in him is being the son of God and righteous and perfect. And the minute you take your unrighteousness and you ask his righteousness to occupy your unrighteousness, his righteousness overpowers your unrighteousness. And you are no longer defined by your sin. You're now defined by his shed blood and his righteousness. Does that mean that you can live a sinless life? No, it doesn't mean you can live a sinless life. We're all going to sin and mess up. But he empowers you to conquer sin. And so when you strive towards living this lifestyle after God, you're striving now with the, having been empowered by, 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 by the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead in your weakness to conquer the things you used to struggle with. So this is righteousness. We know righteousness doesn't come from us. Righteousness can only come from God. Righteousness comes through faith. And so this righteousness that Paul's talking about, Ephesians, that guards us, is actually different than the righteousness that we've just described. 
See, in Ephesians, in the two instances prior, in Ephesians, the word righteousness was employed in an ethical sense. Not the righteousness that comes from God, but the righteousness that we strive for in in, in righteous living. Ephesians 4.24 says this, Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put on the new self. Ephesians 5.9 says, Now walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful work of darkness, but instead expose them. Romans 6.19 says, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading them to sanctification. So Paul is saying, hey, this righteousness can only come from God in us, but once you have that righteousness from God, there needs to be this inner striving of ourselves to live worthy of the call that God has placed on our lives. And that's striving to live righteous lives. See, the real Christian cannot sit back claiming righteousness from Christ while sitting in their sin. It doesn't feel right to them. The one who's just looking for a quick ticket to heaven will claim that. Oh, I'm covered by grace, and therefore I can live any way I want to. Number one, you don't understand God. Number two, you don't love God. Because when you love God, there's a desire to please him. And so although we can never live perfect lives, we can live empowered lives through his righteousness to conquer sins that we've been struggling with. And so Paul is saying, hey, in this, this righteousness that is attached to the belt of truth is a righteous lifestyle. This living according to God's ways, walking as children of light, putting on the new self. Uh, living as slaves to righteousness. So as we look at the armor of God, we see that the belt of truth is the anchor for the armor. And that righteousness comes out from the truth. So what does this mean for us? This means that in order for us to be protected in, in how we move and how we live, that we must be living righteous lives. You're not going to be able to live a perfect life but you must strive to live what God has called you to live and not to give in to sin. And when you mess up, because you will, we go immediately to the cross of Christ and ask him to wash us and to cleanse us. We don't settle in that sin. And so what is truth? Righteousness comes from truth. This is truth. And so we will find God's definition for righteous living in here. There are a whole lot of things in here that I wish weren't in here. They just are. Because if they weren't in here, I'd be a much better person, in my own opinion. There are things in here, when I open it up and I dare to read it, that make me out to be a sinner. There are things in here that when I read, I go, ah, that hurts. That's not Selwyn before he was a pastor. That's Selwyn now. So what I do is I just remove the page. And I go, that's better. That reads nicer now. I'm feeling more righteous now. Then I find something else that hurts a little bit. So I go, I know how to fix that. I fixed that before. And I remove that. And that's what people who become their own source and foundation of truth begin to do. 
they begin to find truth by what's convenient for them. And they start saying, well, this isn't sin because it has a negative effect on me. Listen, we're against a lot of things that are sin in this church, and it's not hatred, all right? I'm against things that I deal with. And if I'm guilty of hatred, then I hate myself. All I'm doing is I'm not condoning, and I'm saying this makes us all out to be sinners, and I can't make excuses for it. It just means that I need to take myself to the foot of the cross where I desperately need Jesus Christ's strength and his help. And only through his shed blood can I stand and can I walk. But I also can't condone the lifestyles of other people. Why? Because I care about where they go. To me, that's the definition of love. Love is not saying, oh, it's okay. I don't care if you go to hell. Love is to say, no, I'm willing to be persecuted because I can't. Look, it defines me as a sinner too. But let me tell you about who Jesus Christ is, who takes my sin and washes me and cleanses me and sets me free. And so what's, here's the thing about righteousness. Righteousness is found here. Righteousness proceeds from truth. Remember, the, the, the belt of truth is the anchor that holds righteousness in place. That means righteousness proceeds from the truth. And so only righteous living. is Righteous living is not defined by your peers. It's not defined by the world. It's not defined by movie stars. It doesn't, it's not defined by what's socially or culturally acceptable. It is defined only by what's in here. I don't care what culture you're from. I don't care what age group you're from. I don't care any of that stuff. This defines what righteousness is. Nothing else. This defines what truth is. And so God holds us to this righteous lifestyle that is a struggle and a challenge that you and I can't live by ourselves, but we can only live empowered by his righteousness. That we can't shrink back from that. And so what God says to us, listen, you want protection from the enemy? Then you need to put on the belt of truth, and from that truth comes a, a, a description of righteousness, and you strive to live righteously, and that's going to protect you. Because we know that the enemy desires to separate you. And this is what he does when you're not living righteously. You give him all the ammunition. And you take a big chink in your armor and you go, shoot, right here. It's wide open because he comes to you and he says to you, man, I saw what you did. I saw how you treated that person. I'm glad they don't know you're a Christian. It's evident by how you act that you're not a Christian. And you look at yourself and you go, yup, that's true. The minute you start entertaining that, what's he trying to do? Separate you, right? He's trying to separate you. If he can separate you, if you can begin to believe that. So God says you can guard yourself by that, by focusing on the fruit and being a Christian. Now, you're still going to mess it up because you're not perfect. But when you mess it up, you don't just sit back and go, whatever. Just had that one coming. It's just who I am. I'm just being real. Whatever you want to say. You go, no, this was sin, and I need God's forgiveness, and you can cover that chink in your armor that's just been exposed. All right? Here's the other thing. So he tries to separate you from yourself and from from God to devour you. Here's the other thing he does. He tries to separate you from from the church, but he also tries to honestly separate you from from, um, other people. All right? So as a witness, if you're not living righteously, and you try to witness to someone, they do what you do. What do you do? What do I do? The minute we see someone living a lifestyle that's contrary to what they actually profess, we go, and they call themselves a whatever. I can't believe that guy's a cop. So what he was doing. I mean, we do about anything. I can't believe that's a Christian. They're not a Christian. The enemy is eliminating your witness by the lack of righteousness in your life. 
Not only is it a protection against you being defeated and taken out, righteous living is also an offensive weapon that leads people to Christ because if you will live righteously, even when they try to find something against you, they won't be able to find it. To take what God is giving us requires us to put this armor on. Not to simply read about it. This is not something you can read and it magically comes upon you. This is something we have to live out. And so when we read this now and look at it, a lot of us in our minds, the Holy Spirit, because he loves us, are going to bring certain things that we're doing or not doing to our minds that he's going to convict us of. And when he brings those things to your mind, Satan's going to jump in there and say, separation, separation, separation. You're worthless, you're worthless, you're worthless. You don't need to be in this church. And that's, he's going to try and use that opportunity of God's conviction to bring you away from the power who can set you free, while God's bringing it up to lead you closer to him to set you free. Does that make sense? You have to make sure that you're hearing the right voice. This is not said to you to condemn you. This is said by God to empower you. You need to understand that everything that God has done with us and is doing it with us as a church is just symbolic of what he wants to do in your life. There are greater ministries in this church that haven't been birthed yet that can be birthed right now in the upcoming days, weeks, months, years because of you, what you're seeing God do right now with this body. That God wants to send a message to you that what he is calling to you to do, which seems so unreachable and so impossible for you, he will empower you and he will put the pieces together that currently do not exist to make it a tangible reality that you will walk in the reality of what he's called you to by his power. That's what God is wanting to do. The enemy, more than anything, does not want to see that happen in your life. He's going to work overtime right now to reroute you off of God's purposes and plans for you. Righteousness. If you will strive, and understand I'm saying strive. I'm not saying if you will manage to live perfect righteousness, because you can't. But if you will strive to live righteously, God's grace will fill in the gaps when you bring those sins before him and he will keep that shield upon you. And the vital organs that keep you alive as a Christian will be protected and will be covered and you will go forth and take the land. And when you use the sword, and we'll get ahead of it, which is his scripture, you can defeat the enemy. This is what Revelation says. Revelation chapter 11, verse 12. It says, and they have conquered him, him meaning Satan, all right, referring to the accusers of our brothers, if you look at it in context, they have, they have conquered the accusers of our brothers, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. It says that we, that we have conquered Satan by what? That means the accuser who comes at us, right, saying, hey, this is what you're guilty of, this is sin. We conquer him by declaring the shed blood of Jesus Christ, which covers our sin, and by the word of our testimonies, declaring, hey, listen, this is who we are now in Jesus Christ. In this epistle, Paul places a great amount of stress on the necessity of living lives worthy of the calling with which believers are called. If we will live this out, not only will you live a guarded life against the attacks of the enemy, but just by you living righteously, you will lead people to Christ. 
I'll close with this. I'm closing, Michael. I'm closing. <laughs> My biggest critic is like, Dad, uh... First Peter 2.12 says this, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I want to ask Tim to come. He was here a second. There he is. Oh, he isn't. Tim's coming. And I want to ask some of our prayer team members to come forward and just make themselves available for prayer. This is not a message of condemnation. If you are hearing condemnation, you're hearing from the enemy, you're not hearing from God. All right? This is an empowering that when God, God loves you so much that he's going to identify things in your life that he wants to see corrected, that you are powerless to correct, but that he is not. And that what he wants you to do is to recognize those things and then ask him to come in and strengthen you in those areas and maybe link arms with somebody else in the church to walk with you as a body to see the victory in that area. And it will be his righteousness and his power that will see you conquer this. God has great things for you. God has brought us to this point, and he's used you. This has been your miracle, and the miracle is not the end right now. It's the beginning. God is going to stretch you. God is going to call you beyond yourself. I am confident that there are ministries in this place that don't yet exist, that are about to exist, if you will embrace what God is doing, if you will embrace and move in obedience to the message that God has given you to step out of your comfort zone. But if we're going to do that, we must step out armed and ready for war. The, the Christian war is beautiful. It's taking lives for God to give them freedom. We conquer for freedom. We conquer for life. We conquer for hope, for joy, for peace. And you are a soldier in that, empowered by him. So I'm going to ask some of our prayer team leaders to come forward. Some of our deacons, both hurting on prayer teams. So I'll ask some of them to come. Who else is here? Dito, come on up. If you're in this place, just bow your heads and close your eyes. And you're struggling in an area, don't walk out of here in that struggle. Come pray with someone. Let us link arms with you. Not to beat you up, but to encourage you. God's got you. God's got greater things for you. If you're here and, and, and man, you just feel like God's been calling you to something, but the pieces don't add up, and it's scary, and it's terrifying. It's one thing to have done this as a body, but, man, to do it by yourself. Come pray with us. Just understand that you may not be able to see all the pieces, but God does. It's not your job to build it. It's his job to build it. It's just your job to move out in obedience. If you will dare to trust him, he will do amazing things with your life. There are great things ahead of you. There are great things ahead of this church. We're about to walk through and embrace what God is doing. Let's put our armor on. Let's be vigilant. Let's not hold back. Let's run this race. Amen? Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love.
God, I just want to pause and say thank you that you would see us in our sin, in our darkness, and in our unrighteousness. And you wouldn't leave us there, but that you would come. You would come in your righteousness and in your perfection, but you would take the punishment of those who are unrighteous, of all of us, upon yourself to pay the price that we deserved to bring us life and freedom. And then, God, you'd love us so much that you would offer yourself to come for all those who ask you to, to come and live inside of us and transform our weakness into amazing power, to transform our, 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 our battles into victories, our defeats into strengths, Lord God. And this morning, you know every battle that exists in this place, and we just pray right now in the name of Jesus, would you strengthen each individual in that battle? God, would you give them fresh power that comes from you? God, would you give them a fresh definition of themselves? The enemy is trying to define them as, as, as discarded or rejected by you. God, I pray that you would combat that right now in their minds and let them define themselves as covered by your blood and declared righteous because you're righteous and loved so much that you gave your life for them. Lord God, defeat every attack and every thought of the enemy in this place right now. In the name of Jesus. If there's anyone in this place that's being sidelined or driven away, Lord God, because of whatever the reason is, God, let them bring healing to that, Lord God. Would you bring them closer to you, Lord God? But God, would you strengthen these people? For those in this place that are on the verge of stepping out, Lord God, but they're scared, they don't have all the answers, God, would you give them peace? God, we're not asking for you to give them all the answers. Just give them the peace to trust you, to know that it's your voice. And take the step in obedience that you're calling them to. God, would you use us now, this church and these people, to reflect your glory and to build your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. These altars are open if you need prayer. We love you. Have an awesome week.